Welcome to the She Finds Joy podcast, where I teach you how to step into the arena of bigness, all the while creating more joy along the way. That's right. We are capable of reclaiming our power, our purpose, our boldness and bravery, and putting our bigness into the world. I'm Kim Strobel, your truth-telling, real-talk happiness coach, who believes in giving you the tools to create a life you really love. After all, when we're playing in our arenas of bigness, life gets better as we get bolder. So buckle up for the no BS, zero fluff advice that gives you the small steps for big joy. Today, I want to welcome Shannon Jamel. Shannon is the founder and creator of Mind and Body Complete. She is a best-selling author, podcast host, retreat leader, therapist turned performance coach, and tequila connoisseur. Not really, but she does enjoy sipping on a good pour. I already love you, Shannon. (laughs) (laughs) Shannon has a passion and a mission to elevate women in mind and body in order to connect, grow, and thrive through her programs and intentional products. She lives on her ranch with her family in the hill country of Texas. Welcome to the show. Thank you so, so much. I am so, so humbled and grateful to be here. You know, Texas is one of my favorite places to go. You know, I noticed on, you know, your deal, like all the places that you go to, you do come here to Texas quite often. I do. I do. And I love that state. And just, I was there a week ago and I always find these lakes. You guys have amazing lakes around in that area. And then there's all these beautiful homes and all these boats out in the water. And so my, yeah, my husband laughs. He's like, every time you travel, Kim, that whatever that city is that you go to, (laughs) that's the new place we're supposed to be moving to. Yay. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, The people are great. And there's, you know, lakes are definitely there's so many lakes, especially where we're at. um, In particular, there's a lot of big lakes around us. So it's wonderful. Yeah, well, jump in and tell us a little bit about who you are. I First of all, I do love like you have the whole mind-body connection. I'm somebody who very much believes that we have to integrate all of those things. But give us the background about like where you were and how you became a, a performance coach. Yeah, um, well, my background goes all the way back to I used to be an executive in um, corporate you know, life and all that fun stuff. And, um, but I was always interested in uh, mental health as far as how the brain works and how our physical symptoms usually manifest from our emotional um, disruptions um, and sometimes vice versa. But a lot of times it's mostly coming from our thoughts and our thinking and maybe stress levels and maybe some um, mental health disorders or, you know, all kinds of goodies there. And so uh, when I decided to leave corporate America, I thought, I'm going to go to school and get my master's. And I did that. And And then I went through um, working as a uh, clinical therapist and had a practice for a while and and then realized that, you know, uh, the way mental therapy is structured is beautiful. It really is. It's a beautiful thing. I highly, highly recommend um, really honestly, Kim, everybody to go and, and try it out because there's all of us have something that we could really work through and, and figure out and see what's underlying in some of our um, today issues, right? But but one of the things that therapy does is it spends a lot of time in the history, right? And in our past, 
and through that, and sometimes we can get stuck there. And the therapist has to be open and receiving to everything that a client is feeling at that moment, which I love. But I really wanted to work in a way where we could get um, things accomplished in a little bit of a faster, less medical model role um, that we weren't, you know, constrain, constrained by uh, exactly what the medical model said we had to do. I kind of wanted to go outside of the box more. And, and so that's why I decided to do coaching instead, which really says, okay, this happened in the past. That's great. And, and let's work through that a little bit. But really, really, let's see how we can use that in a different way today um, and maybe look at it differently and, and use it differently so that we can focus on what is the goals today that we want to accomplish, not what so much happened yesterday. And, um, and so that's why I changed and really went into performance coaching. And, and then I, you know, I started hosting retreats all over the, the world, really. Um, and I primarily, my demographic is women that I work with and, and just really trying to figure out what's your goal? What is your goal and how can we get there? Um, and it usually involves both the mind and body in some way. And, and how can we elevate that? Well, a couple of things, first of all, that you said that really resonated with me. And I am one of these people that 100% believes that we all need a coach or a counselor or someone in our life. Like mm -hmm. I tell people, I've been seeing my sweet Charlie for the last, I don't know, 20 years. And Charlie mm -hmm. will always be in my life. Um, because I don't know if I'm, I'll need Charlie 10 times this year or three times this year. But what I know is that a better version of Kim Strobel happens when she works with Charlie rather than trying to figure out all of this shit on her own. Yes. And the other thing that I like about him is you're right. I think as, as good as, you know, the field of mental therapy is, there has been a ton of focus on like, okay, well, let's, let's dive into all of your childhood wounds and mm -hmm. let's, let's stay there for a really long time. And mm -hmm. one of the things that Charlie's always done with me is like, we're going to look at those, but I'm way more interested in giving you strategies to get to where you're going. Cause Love we can, it. we can work and harp on all of that stuff for months on end, but I actually want to give you some tools and some strategies for getting out of that quicker and into what you really want. I love it. And I love what you said is that you, Charlie helps, you know, you create, you helps you, but you're doing it. You create the better version of you each time, right? And I think what's important here is that a lot of times we don't really even recognize that we can only process through a lens of our own experience, right? So whatever we're viewing and doing and thinking, it's through the lens of our own experience. And so having another person, whomever they are, somebody you trust, a mentor, a coach, a therapist, a psychiatrist, you know, whatever that looks like that can look at it in a different lens is so powerful. I just, I can't put enough stress on that. It's just, it's so powerful that every human being could benefit in having some sort of person in their, their arena with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. And I think that he was instrumental um, in my, you know, in my marriage too, because we also used him for marriage therapy. And I really want to be clear with our audience because <clears throat> this is something that I feel really strongly about is just what you said there's nothing wrong with all of this reaching out and getting some help. It's actually the most proactive thing that we can do. And most of the time when you find that really trusted coach or therapist, um, I don't, I don't even like calling Charlie a therapist. I've actually called him a spiritual mentor because I feel like he, again, has just helped with the evolvement of me and my soul and who I am. But 
people that finally take that first step and do that, they are amazed at how helpful it really is in their life. So I really want to remove that whole stigma for any of you out there who are thinking about that. Um, it's, it's actually a courageous and very strong choice to make to actually seek that help from someone else. Cause you're right. We're so stuck in our own perceptions of things that we cannot disseminate all that's going on in our heads. And, um, and so I can't wait to talk to you about all of these things today. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So true. That's, that's a really, really good way of looking at it is, is really trying to help people move past that stigma. And I even like to look at it like if, if finding help, that verbiage doesn't work for you. How about finding someone to work with you on your goals? Maybe, maybe you don't, you know, cause I don't want someone, no one, no one. And I've had people at all varying degrees of mental health disruption. Um, no one comes in broken necessarily. And I know people get real fond of that word broken. I just don't feel that. I feel that we've had situations that have happened or we have a thing thinking. Um, I, I'm just really glad that you talked about the fact that there should not be a stigma with seeking the help. But I also encourage people if help sounds wrong to them, right? Because some people are like, well, I'm not broken. And I don't honestly think anybody's broken. I think we all just have stuff, right? But if help that word doesn't resonate with someone. I just encourage someone to look at it as, could you use assistance with your goals, right? Maybe a goal you have is to do something differently or to think differently or to feel differently. And so whether it's help or whether it's goals or whether it's just seeking some support, uh, there is definitely no stigma in doing that. So I'm so grateful that you said that. Yes. And I love this idea of, you know, we, we do have so much that has happened in our past that we don't even realize is there that is really operating in our present life and determining our future. Mm -hmm. And so I love mm -hmm. that you really work on that. Like, let's get you unstuck, you yes. know, and, and then move you into the future. Because, you know, one of the things that I talk about when I'm teaching the growth mindset curriculum to people or students or adults or organizations is, you know, we have these labels that get given to us from early on. Um, and, and, and some of them might even seem like they're a positive label, but they're really not. And some of them are very negative labels. So for example, one of the labels that I was told all of the time is, you know, Kim is really hyper. Um, Kim is careless. Kim does everything way too fast. Mm. And I had these labels that did not, that didn't feel good. Right. When somebody was like, Oh, sure. Kim's, Kim's so hyper all of the time. Um, because it made me feel less than it made me feel like something was wrong. I'm not fitting the quota of how I'm supposed to act and be in the world. And as an adult, um, it took me many years to realize that actually that, that level of intensity and, um, if you want to call it hyperness, you could call it that, but that's what makes me really good on the stage, right? Is like, I have yeah. this contagious enthusiasm for life. And while it might make someone else feel like, wow, she's quite a bit, it's actually the thing that makes me who I am. And I find that we all, we all have these labels we were told when we were younger. And that continues to play out in our present life because, you know, the view that you adopt for yourself profoundly affects the way you lead your life. And so if you were told this label or this certain thing about you, and then that gets stuck and lodged in the back of your brain, and then that becomes an identity and that identity becomes a belief. And mm -hmm. those beliefs are always driving your actions. And so I'm just curious, do you have anything to speak upon when it comes to 
you know, this idea of these labels and how they really do affect us. Sure. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I, I ask people to consider is that when we are given a label, like for instance, Kim, if, if I label you as Kim, you're, you're too hyper, right? Let's just say, I'd like people to consider that I'm labeling you, right? The person who labeled you, they're actually labeling their own insecurity. And so when I label you as you're too hyper, what I'm saying is I wish I had the energy you had or subconsciously I'm saying I wish I could have that personality that Kim is just so, you know, she has the energy of being able to connect with people. She has this bubbly, you know, it's, it's, I'm telling you it is 99.99999% of the time a label is somebody else's insecurity that they've now put onto you. And something I'm going to stop you right there because that is so freaking profound. I mean, I have heard that before, but I'm not going to lie. I sometimes struggle to understand that. So I want you to go even deeper. Like, why is it their insecurity? Because I I am thinking to one particular person who she is like super zen and she's super relaxed and she's super private. Um, And I will tell you that every time as a school teacher, like I walked into her office or into the same room just the mere energetic presence of me sent her over the edge. Yes. Yeah. Good. I'm so glad you said that because that is just another example of how it's their own deficiency, their own insecurity and deficiency by meaning in their own mind, not I'm labeling them that they just in their own mind, they see this as a deficiency or an insecurity. Or the third option is they, they fear it in their own life. Let me give you an example um, to bring it to like a personal level. Um, My, daughter who's now 18 and she's um, going off to college and we're so close now but when she was preteen teen um, she really just did not take care of herself the way I felt a teenager should take care of herself right and so I was constantly picking at her like oh you should wear your pants this way or you should wear your shirt this way or why don't you take care of yourself or why do you and what I was really subconsciously doing to her was thinking back to my own childhood when I was picked on for those things and mm-hmm. how insecure I I felt at that time and how I didn't want her to experience these things. Do you see what I'm saying? And how good I was putting my junk on her. And that's what someone does when they put a label on you. They're putting their junk on you. It's either something they're afraid they will be or they lack and wish they had. Um, And so we always attack. We always attack something that's we're insecure about, or we're ignorant about, or we're, you know, we're afraid we're going to become. I mean, that really is, it, it always drives to that. Think about it this way. When you're feeling really, really good, right? Do you think about somebody else in a negative way? I mean, really, when you're feeling so good about yourself, do you look at someone else and go, oh, she shouldn't wear that? Or uh, you don't because you feel so good about yourself, uh, right? That's, yes, that's so good. But now I am going to flip it because sure. I want, I need a little bit of self-coaching here um, because I too have noticed that like my husband and I can get super judgy sometimes around people. So for example, there's this person in our life who um, has these kids and like, she just drives us crazy. Like every single time we see her, she has to brag about her kids and tell us all that her kids are doing. And it just sickens us. Like, we're just like, oh my gosh, like what is wrong with her? And so like, we're judging her as a parent. So like, are you tell, like explain why I'm doing that. Are you saying that I'm feeling 
there's a couple of different things not to interrupt there's a couple of different things let me let me also clarify there are some times where we just think a thought and it just is there right so we right. just we just think oh um you know that outfit's too small or too big or whatever that's just observation and there's difference because there's intention behind thoughts right and, and right. an intention your intention behind your thought is really what matters so when you're judging this this person or couple or whatever when they're doing this the intention is what matters if your intention inside is like oh gosh, why do they do that? That's so annoying. Is it because you feel like if you did it, it would be annoying? Is it because if you feel like you should do it more? Is it because, you know, like you have to really dig into what's your intention of that? If it's just, I'm tired of hearing it, then okay, that, that might be it. It might just be, I'm tired of hearing it. But usually, let's, let's really dig into this. Usually when we're triggered by someone, it's something within us. It's not them. It's usually something within us. So something within you is, is, is not liking what's being presented to you. Um, whether, like I said, it might be one of those things where you think if you did what she did, it would be annoying, right? And so maybe right. you, you think that. Maybe you think, well, if I said these things about my kids or my niece or my nephew or whomever, oh, I, that would just be so annoying if I did it, you know? So it's annoying because she's doing it. Or, you know, that's a big one. Or the other one is, do you feel like you should do it more with your kids? Maybe you don't recognize your kids enough. I'm not saying you do or don't. This no, just I know what things, you're saying. Yeah. Things that so, might be going through your head. So let me just go there for, with you for a minute. Sure. So I'm thinking... I'm thinking, would you please shut your damn mouth and for once ask me about my kid? Because I get so sick of hearing you talk about your kids constantly to me. And then I try to share one little thing and you just trump me. And I just, yeah. and I just leave every conversation if I have to see this person at Walmart or wherever. And it just fires me up. And then I get mad at myself because I'm like, I don't choose to hang out with this person. So like, why does it annoy me if I have to see her every few weeks in Walmart and I have to hear her bullshit story about her kids? But, but it's like, I find myself coming home and then I'm telling my husband about it. I'm like, guess what she did this time, you know? Yeah. And I feel kind of judgy um, when I yeah. do it. Yeah. So honestly, this would take some work on your part to really dig into why is this triggering you? Because let's, let's look at it this way. If it were me, right, I'm just making it up and I saw her and these things happen, it might not trigger me at all. I might just be like, oh, she is who she is. Yeah. She just likes to talk about her kids. Then uh, I just send her love and move on my way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not yeah, saying I'm that. Not it, I'm not sending her Yeah. Well, and that might be the other thing too. Is you've got to do that that practice of, you know, she needs this attention for some reason, right? So she needs yeah. this attention. She's craving something. She's lacking something. She needs some attention. And so if you send her love and just release it, it might also untangle what's happening inside of you. Gotcha. But the only reason we get triggered, sister, and this is a hard one for all of us. The only reason why we get triggered is that something in us. It's not that other person, right? It just isn't. And I know that's really, you know, not what people like to hear. And it's, they, it's, there's lots of disagreement with that, which I'm totally open to, but, but otherwise just think about the fact that, you know, you meet other people and they don't trigger you and they might say weird, stupid, silly, goofy, right. you know, things. So there's something there that triggers you, something that's triggering something within you that you're not liking. Um, and it could be very deep subconsciously that you're just not, it's not, readily available to snap up. Um, but there's a trigger and it, it, it has nothing to do with the fact that she's obviously someone who, you know, might be a little bit self-centered and right. could be, right. but it really it usually, even if that was the case, even if it was just that she's self-centered, it wouldn't trigger you. Right. You would just right. kind of giggle about it and go, okay, good to see you. You know, like yeah, it just would yeah. be like, and so there's a trigger in there somewhere and it has something to do with what you're feeling about you um, more than what you're feeling about her. 
Okay. So I always pull quotes out of the podcast. And so I wrote this down, but I want you to finish it for me. So the only reason we get triggered is because, and then what did you say? It's something within us. It's not that other person. Something within us. I love that. And this is something I do totally believe, but then I find myself coming up with scenarios where I'm like, well, I don't know what she's (laughs) triggering inside of me. I just think I just don't like this person. (laughs) But you're right. Listen, I've had that too. Listen, I could talk about this all day and I'll meet someone and go, oh, no, no, no. This isn't going to be a person in my circle. Um, And that's okay, you know, for whatever reason. And and honestly, if I'm being super, 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 super honest with myself, it's some insecurity in me, whatever it might be. And and maybe I don't want to spend time figuring that shit out. Maybe I just want to move on and say, this is just not the person for me. But but always, if we're triggered, it's in us. It's always in us. Which makes perfect sense because I... When I talk about walking in the room, just my mere presence, it doesn't affect everyone like that. It just affects that one woman. And Bam. so you're right. We, it is, it is, and I love that. And I, I encourage all of our listeners to think about that, to think about the crap that triggers us and to figure out where our ownership is in that piece. Yeah. Um, because I do wholeheartedly believe that quote, it, it's a hard one to swallow sometimes. I'm yeah. not going to lie, but yes. I do believe it is true. So, oh my gosh, this, that right there has just been great. So all of our listeners, I want you to think about the, the people and the crap and the things that trigger you and figure out what is it inside of you that is feeling either insecure or wounded or whatever it might be and, and, and understanding that we have a personal responsibility to flip that script for ourselves. We do. We do. I do that. Listen, I do this to myself a lot too, Kim, where I might be reading a book or watching something or listening to something and I get triggered, right? I get fired up and it's like, okay, what's happening here? And that's the time for me to ask myself. I could do one of two things here. I can, I can explore this and figure it out and, and go through a, what I call it AFCO, another fucking growth opportunity, right? <laughs> or I'm like, screw it. Say that acronym again. It's AFCO, A-F-G-O. Another fucking, fucking growth, growth opportunity. opportunity. I love it. I could do this or I could say, I don't want to grow today. I'm just going to move on past this. You know, we always have that opportunity whenever we're being triggered. And triggered could feel like you just said. It could feel like annoyed. It could feel like, you could even feel kind of like attacked, but you're not even sure why you're feeling attacked. You just feel that way. Um, you, you could just be, you know, I don't know. They just get on your nerves. You know what I mean? Like there's all different kinds of ways a trigger feels, but you know what it feels like because you feel it in your body even. Oh, girl. Um, Oh, girl. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. (laughs) I feel everything. So, (laughs) oh my gosh. Now, okay. So I want to go into this topic that you talk a lot about, which is emotional disruption. What what is an emotional disruption? Yeah. So emotional disruption is anytime we're feeling um, an extra layer of angst or stress or anger or sadness, you know, we we go through all of these emotions. Okay. So they're all normal. Anytime someone tells me, well, I have too much stress. It's like, well, let's talk about that because there's a certain level of stress of just living in day-to-day life that we're just, that's normal. Right. Yeah. So, but when you're going above that, right. And and I, normal is different for everybody. So I'm not going to tell you what a normal layer is, you know, And the way you know is maybe some part of your life is just not functioning the way you'd like it to. Maybe your relationships are a little disjointed right now. Maybe work is really difficult. It's more difficult for you to get along with people at work. You know, there's just a a disruption 
disruption somewhere in your functioning of life, which tells me there's an emotional disruption somewhere going on. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, and that can, and that can stem from, like I said, it could stem from something going on currently in our relationships at work, um, in our mind and our thinking, um, or it could even be a past trauma uh, that has happened or a past situation that's happening and for whatever reason it's bubbling up today. And that could be consciously or subconscious. And so all of these things can lead to what I call emotional disruption. That, okay, yes, yes. <clears throat> I feel like I'm in the middle of a ton of emotional disruptions right now, <clears throat> just with everything, right, that's yeah. going on. Yeah, and that's a good yeah. point too. It can also just come from external, right? I mean, just the, the, the state of the world that we're in right now is, is one big giant fucking emotional disruption. I mean, it really just is. It's actually what we like to say, even if, if I were to switch gears and go into a clinical uh, realm, this is a constant state of emotional trauma that we're in um, with everything that's going on with COVID-19 and then um, with the injustices that we're, you know, fighting through and the protests and just all the kind of stuff that's going on. There's so much turmoil that puts us in emotional trauma. Um, and so obviously emotional trauma is, you know, going to be causing emotional disruption. But what I like to say is that there are three ways of dealing with emotional disruption. Yeah. Um, and I call them my triple D's and I can just briefly go over all three Please of them. Please do, yeah. Yeah, so the first one is digging in. The second one is distraction or doing. And the, th the third one is digest. Um, and so basically what it looks like is digging in is kind of like leaning into it, leaning into what you're feeling, your emotional disruption. What is it, you know, what does it feel like? Because listen, we all, for whatever reason, I don't know if we're, you know, brought up this way or it just happens. We start to think that we're only supposed to feel happiness and everything else we're supposed to fix. And that's not the case. We're supposed to feel our feelings. They're meant to be felt. It's actually when we try to just stuff them away or numb them away or put them under the carpet, that's when we really start to see that the emotional disruptions turn into physical disruptions. Ooh, I love that. So yeah, so we've got to feel them. We've got to take some time, you know, turn the phone off, put it away, take a bath, sit in your closet, whatever it is, journal it out, cry it out, scream it out, talk it out. You know, you've got to dig in. You've got to lean into what you're feeling. And I like to say that we we want to lean into it until we, it no longer has power over us. Now that might not all happen in one session. That might not all happen in one, you know, sit down. You might have to like lean in, feel it, dig it, dig into it. And then you might have to say, okay, I need a break. And that's when you would go to distraction, right? And then you would come back to digging in as you can. So, but then after you've dug in and you're leaning in and you're really trying to, to get into it, the next thing that you would do is distraction, Okay, so step two is distraction. Yeah, step two is distraction or doing. Um, and that's basically when digging in becomes too much or you just need another tool, you need a break. Um, and so this is real simple, real simple tools. Tools, um, You know, watch or read humorous things. You know, we all know laughter makes a big difference in our life, right? And so emotional disruption can totally be disrupted by laugh, laughter. Um, and then the other things that we all know, reading, um, creating art, um, watching a movie or documentary, uh, chatting with your friends, uh, other things, sewing, cleaning and organizing is a big one. Oh my goodness. You know, for a lot of people that just really kind of helps uh, cl bring clarity into their, their brain is just cleaning and, and You know organizing. what for me, so this is one of the things my therapist Charlie taught me is when I am emotionally charged and filling all of my fillings, I can sometimes get really out of whack, like especially if I'm in a disagreement with my husband or whatever it might be. And mm -hmm. so then he tells me the very best thing I can do is go take a run. Love it. I'm a Work runner. it out. 
Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the other one is exercise. I always like to say, if you can't work it out, go work it out. Right. Yeah. So if you can't work out whatever is bothering you or you're dealing with then go work out and, and whatever that looks like, if it's a run, if it's a swim, if it's a fast walk, if it's yoga, if it's whatever it is, right. Cause everybody's got their jam. Yeah. Um, but then let me ask of, you this. Yeah, let me ahead. ask you this. Do we sometimes misuse distraction to keep us from feeling all the feels like do we not want to feel the way we do so we veg out on social media for an hour which really doesn't serve a good purpose like do we abuse distraction too yes um so I like to first of all social media good night I just don't even want to say this but I feel like it's the source of all evil and sometimes yeah <laughs> and I use social media for business so I realize the hypocrisy there um but social media is not where we need to spend time when we're in emotional disruption. As a matter of fact, I tell my clients when we're in emotional disruption, uh, you need to turn it off for however long until you've worked through your emotional disruption, because all that's going to do is not only keep you in this space, but it's also going to add comparison and some other bullshit on there. So yes. social media is not the thing. The other thing that you won't see in my list is drink more, right? Or, right. or, or any kind of drugs or, you know, I'm not going to tell you to do all those things as your, as your form of distraction. Cause that's not, Numbing it out, even if it's hours and hours and hours of mindless TV is not necessarily the, the great distraction right. either. So I'm more like we need to use the creative side of our brain, right? Mm. We need to use the creative or the humorous side of our brain. Like we need to tap into those sections, um, music, art, journal, write, um, create. Like that's, that's to me the distraction tools that I'm talking about. Gotcha. The other one would be mindfulness, you know, any way that you can practice mindfulness, whether it's through breath work or, um, you know, focusing on the present moment, working through acceptance, meditation, you know, writing out a thankful journal, whatever it might be. But, but any type of mindfulness is a really great distraction um, as well. And so those are some, some big yeah, ones. That, that's, that's, that clarifies it for me. You're, you're talking about distraction in a way that... Um, positively contributes to you being able to somewhat digest and resolve this issue. Yes. Yes, exactly. One of the other things that I'll tell you that we could work on um, is the vagus nerve, believe it or not. Um, the vagus nerve is super powerful. It's the longest nerve in our body. Uh, a lot of people are, are not very familiar with a vagus nerve, um, or maybe yeah. they are, they just don't realize what it all does, but it's the only nerve in our body that connects to the brain, heart, lungs, and gut, which the gut is really big for us, um, as well as all of our sensory throughout the body. And so it's the key part of our parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system. And so when we can work on our vagal tone, which is how, you know, effective our vagus nerve is, that's when we can start to affect too how we're feeling and how we're able to rest and relax and then better able to process. And so just real quickly, a couple of things people. Yeah, let's, I, I'm real interested because, you know, you're talking to the girl who suffered greatly from crippling yes. disorder. Yeah. And so when you say the word parasympathetic, you know, synthetic yeah. Uh, sympathetic system, which I, I wish I could just live in that system all of the time. So oh, yes, we need a stress reliever associated to this. I'm, I'm highly intrigued. So keep going. Yeah. So the way we work on our vagal tone is um, through vagus nerve stimulation. And there's a, a few different ways we could do that. And, and I highly recommend taking a few that work for each person and just start practicing them. Um, one is cold exposure. And I know wah, wah, not a whole lot of people like the cold exposure, but it really is exactly what it sounds like taking the, the coldest bath you can take or 
cold oh, dip pool. Really? Yeah. So cold exposure is really, really fabulous for our vagus nerve. So like um, you're saying, if I am starting to feel anxious or panicky or um, overwhelmed or mentally frazzled that I should maybe like jump in and take a really cold shower. So what I like to do first is I like to tell people, you know, if you have a bath and a shower, even better, get into hot, hot water, right? And then get into a cold shower. Wow. I'm all about the hot bath. So yeah. Um, And so you finish it always with cold, which is really hard. And you can even go back and forth. Like if, I don't know if you're familiar with a lot of these um, health spas, the ones that are focused on health as well as, you know, the massages and the facials and stuff, they'll have the hot, cold plunges. And there's a reason for that. It's super, super fabulous for our nervous system. And so if you can, if you have both and you have that, that availability to like, you know, sit in the hot bath and get in the shower, sit in the hot bath and take a shower. If you can do that a good three to five times, I am telling you right now, sister, it will change your life. It will change your so like, life. Okay, so like I need to sit in the hot bath for what, five minutes and then the shower for five No, minutes? you don't even have to do that. No, you could sit in the hot bath for about a minute or two. I would say a minute to three minutes. Okay. And then the shower is only 30 seconds. And then oh, hot bath, a minute oh. to three minutes, and then the shower, 30 seconds. The key is when you're done with your rotation and you're like, okay, I'm finished, you have to end with the cold. Gotcha. Okay. 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 So cold exposure. Um, Another one is slow and deep breathing, which I know a lot of us know that slow and deep breathing can affect how we feel and it affects our emotional um, setup. But, you know, really, really understanding and maybe coming up with a breath work that that resonates with someone is super, super important. Um, one of the ones that I like to use is a four, six, eight process. So inhaling to a count of four, holding for a count of six, exhaling for a count of eight. And so just nice, slow and deep. If you can do that again, three to five times um, in, the, in the moment that you're not feeling right, it can make a big difference. So slow mm. and deep breathing. That's so good. And let me just tell you that. So um, most people begin to overbreathe when they have mm-hmm. a panic attack. Mm-hmm. I stop breathing. Mm -hmm. I hold my breath. Mm -hmm. And so breath work is a real important part. I'm actually going to add this to my note card, the four, six, eight. I like that. So okay, four, six, eight. I love it. I like to tell people to practice deep breathing, even when you don't need it, because it's like, it's like what I like to say is it's, and, and you can appreciate this. It's impossible to have a panic attack if you're slow, deep breathing, but it's also impossible to slow, deep breathe when you're at the yes. beginning of a panic attack, if you haven't been practicing it. Right. So yes. it's like, wait a minute. You, you can't, you can't just say, Oh, I'm, I, I feel a panic attack coming on. Let me hurry up and slow, deep breathe. That doesn't work. You no. had to have had this as part of your system as part of one of your tools. I'm, so, I'm yeah. writing myself a note card right now. and putting it next to my meditation chair because I do know that the value of practicing is so that it becomes second nature to you have the skills. So I'm going to practice this during my meditation. Love it. Okay. Keep going. All right. Singing, humming, and chanting. You know, we like to, sometimes some people like to make fun of the woo-woo of some of the yogis who chant and hum and all that stuff. There's actually science behind it that really is incredible for the, uh, for the vagus nerve. And here's what's funny. You know, I think we kind of know that because if we sing, even if we 
suck at singing, how good you feel when you sing, right? I mean, you just do. Um, And performers will always tell you they have that real big high when they get off stage. It's not just because they were performing for people. It's actually the singing. It's it's what it's stimulating that does that. So, wow. Um, I did read that in a book, by the way, um, that when you start to have a panic attack, start singing and you, yes. you can't have both. You can't have the panic no. attack and be singing. So, yeah. So if you can sing or, or, or if singing is just your brain's not, cause singing, you know, it depends on where you're at in your, in your stage of panic attack. If your brain's not able to function on words, you can hum and just maybe pick mm-hmm. one or two words and chant it over and over and over again. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, probiotics, believe it or not, is real great for the vagus nerve as well as omega-3 fatty acids. So if those are two supplements that are not in your diet, I highly recommend. Um, but also I'm not a big person on like taking a bunch of supplements because I think you should only take what you need. Otherwise you're just pissing it out. Um, personally, like you really are literally pissing it out. Um, what are some omega-3 fatty acids? Um, fishes, Okay, you know, so fish, fish oils. Has, yeah, fish. Um, and then also chia seeds, um, oh, hemp yeah. seeds. Yeah, so there's omega 3s and, and lots of different things. You have to be very purposeful these days, though, to really get it into your diet. And so sometimes it is easier to take a supplement, but definitely, you know, there's certain natural well, ways that you can get it in there, too. Yeah, I actually ordered chia seeds from like in bulk from Amazon, and I just put a scoop of them in my protein shake in the morning. Perfect. Perfect. Now I'm I feeling so good seeds. about myself, Shannon. Yes, girl. I love chia seed. Um, and then we know meditation is really great. Um, that's just got so many great things all the way around, but it does help with the vagus nerve. And then um, this is a fun one, but massages, specifically foot massages. <gasps> Foot massages really help work on the vagus nerve. And then uh, lastly is laughter. And again, that's the vibration uh, mostly in in the throat area. So, Oh my gosh, this is so interesting. I love that. Okay, so those are all going to be helpful for step two, which is distraction. And then the last step of this you said is digest. Digest. Yeah. So digest is what can you learn from this, right? And, And you get to digest pretty much when you feel like you've worked through, you've leaned in, you've distracted where you needed to, maybe you've leaned back in. And now you're at the place where it's like, what can I learn from this? What is the takeaway here? What is my lesson out of this? And there's always a lesson, even if you're in the midst of grief or the, just the, the worst kind of hell you can think of. There's always something that you can learn. There's always a lesson. There's always a takeaway, even if it is to prepare you to maybe help somebody else in the future. Mm-hmm. And so there's always, there's always a benefit, a lesson. Um, and then even just asking, what's, is there another perspective? Um, or do I need to spend some time doing acceptance work? Is this where I really need to say what's within my control? control and what's not within my control and sending what's not in my control out with love, just knowing that, you know, it's not in your control. And there's so much that's not in our control, by the way, there's really only one thing that's in our control. And I'm going to give you a hint and tell you it's not your thoughts. And that's different than what most people think is that we control our thoughts. We actually don't. And let me give you an example. How many times have you um, done something and in your head, you're like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I hate this. I hate doing this. I don't want to, I don't want to exercise. I don't want to eat this or whatever it is. Like your thought, that's what you're thinking, but right. you choose otherwise. So we can influence our thoughts, but we don't always choose them. The only thing we choose is our action. So I might be thinking, I don't want to do this, but I choose to do it anyway. And I do it anyhow, because I know that it's the right decision to do, right? Or whatever. Or maybe I do it and I know it's not the right decision, but I do it anyway. And so or the action is the action sometimes where you're like, Hey, I'm going to stop with that thought and choose a better feeling thought. 
You absolutely can. But remember, sometimes when we're doing that, our, our underlying thought is still saying, yeah, you're not fooling me. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, and you do that enough to where you can, right? You influence your thoughts. Yes, you yes. absolutely can. Um, or you change your activities to where it does, and it does change your thoughts. But always you're going to have a thought and then you are actually choosing a reaction. It might be the opposite of that thought. It might be in, you know, in favor of that thought. But we actually influence our thoughts and we choose our actions or reactions. Same thing. Gotcha. Um, to a certain degree. So, yeah. So, but once we imagine if we ever really truly, and I'm not there either, listen, but if we ever really truly got to that place where we accept what we control, which is only our actions and our reactions, could you just imagine how much more peaceful life would be? I'm not saying it would have everything exactly the way we would want, um, right. but does it, but it doesn't always line up the way we want anyway when, when we're fighting and we're resisting and we're trying to control, you know? Yeah. And so, so much of life is about like, you know, whatever you resist, persist, right? Mm-hmm. So, you're, so I have been able to do that with some really hard things in my life. I have been able to surrender and accept and, and, mm-hmm. and that pathway gives me way more relief than the constant fighting of so that much particular yeah, situation. You know, like even for years, I, I, I just despised the idea that I I was a divorced person that I had divorced and remarried and I just, just fought it. Like, why Mm -hmm. couldn't I have married the right person the first time? Why did I have to share my son back and forth every other weekend with his dad? You know, and I just kept resisting it against what I felt like should have been my life. And I finally like, do you know how much suffering was caused by me envisioning if that didn't have to happen? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so I finally did. Finally, I think it was just a couple of years ago. You know what it was? I'll tell you what it was. This is what did it. My son did it for me because he and I, he's, he's going to be turning 20 and we were in, and his dad and I divorced or I left his dad when he was about two months old. Um, and he's 20 now and we were having a conversation and I just said, you know, Spencer, I, I just have a lot of guilt. I, I, I could, couldn't stay in the marriage, um, but I just have a lot of guilt over you having to go back and forth between two homes. And I, when he went to college, I kind of looked at it like, look at all the days I missed with him. Like, let's take every other weekend, right? Times 18. Sure. And, and he looked at me and said, mom, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Mm-hmm. And I said, really? And he said, well, I mean, he, he, my, he's really close to my husband, Scott, who came into his life when he was like a year old. And he said, I would have never had Scott in my life. Mm. And so it was a different story that he had told himself than what I was telling myself about him and his experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I finally got to like acceptance, like maybe yeah. the story I've created around this situation is really not the only story that's there. Yeah, that's so powerful. Yeah, I think acceptance work can literally be the biggest game changer in anybody's existence, if I'm being honest, uh, because 
Um, there's so much, there's so much that we carry around all day, every day, thinking that either it's our responsibility or it should be our responsibility or whatever may be the case. And the truth is, is there's very little within our control. Um, we can still have goals and we can still influence our life, but but if we can, you know, come to that place of peace and acceptance, it's just so much more freeing. It's just, it really is. And so, and I love how you said the story you were telling yourself, and you're probably familiar with Brene Brown. And, oh, girl. Yeah. yeah. Because that's, that's a big deal. That's a, that's, that's such a powerful thing. And I think it's a great way of opening a conversation with someone like your son or a spouse or a significant other or a friend is like, you know, the story I've been carrying and telling myself is this, um, and maybe hoping for, you know, some understanding or a different perspective mm, there. So that's that really powerful, so girl. Yeah. Acceptance is a big one. So yeah. So yeah. So digest is the last step really. And to help remove some of this emotional disturbance is, is, is to what is my perspective here? What, what kind of acceptance work do I need to do? What do I need to surrender? Um, and what did I learn? And, mm. and then you, you, by that point, you've really worked through um, that emotional disturbance. That is so very good. Oh my goodness. Okay. So a couple of things that I want to do before we end this okay. one in a second, I'm going to um, let you tell our audience where they can find you, where they sure. can connect with you. And then actually when you brought Brene Brown up, so I've been listening to her podcast, Unlocking You. Yes. And she does this really cool thing at the end of her podcast where she'll ask like 10 rapid fire questions. And I'm like, that would be so fun to do with my clients. So we're going to do five at the end here. But first, I want you to tell my people, where can they find more information about you um, and connect with you? Yeah. So it's real simple. You just go to mindbodycomplete.com um, and you can find we'll any of my social media. Notes. Yeah. Social media and everything. You can shoot me an email and, uh, and I'd love to hear from you. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. I love this emotional disruption. And then also if they're interested in your best-selling book, uh, it's called Surrender, right? Yes. And you can get that on Amazon or from my website. Okay, cool. We'll drop all that in the show notes. Okay. Are you ready for the rapid fire question? I think. <laughs> okay, here we go. What's the, what's the one show that you, you've been binging lately? I always, it's the same damn show, girl. You're going to laugh. It's Modern Family. I could watch the same show over and over and over and over again. It's <laughs> Modern Family. Who's your favorite character on there? Claire, because my I husband swears I'm Claire. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, no, I, that's my show, girl. I love Claire too. I love Claire too. There's actually this scene where she and Phil go to a hotel for the weekend and they, they do role play and they, oh, yes. oh, and I'm like, we should do that, Scott. That would be so much fun. Oh gosh. Yes. Clive okay. Bixby. Clive yeah. Bixby. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is one of your luxuries that you give yourself? Oh, um, massages weekly. Oh, me too. Yes. Me too. Yeah. And mine are deep t tissue ones, the kind that you don't, you cringe, but afterwards it feels so good. Yeah, me too. I'm like, push as hard as you want. I need yes. that. You release yes. all that stuff from my body. Um, okay. Here's the third one. What's something that people maybe don't know about you? Um, I dropped out of high school. And then in my uh, sophomore year, I started my sophomore year of high school. And then I thought that I was uh, too good for high school and dropped out. Didn't go my whole sophomore year. And then my junior year, I woke up. I said, yeah, that's not a good idea. So my junior and senior year, I had to take sophomore classes <laughs> and catch oh back up. And I ended up graduating with honors. Wow. Did your parents yeah. freak out? You know, my parents were divorced. My mom lived in Ohio. My dad lived in California. I flew back and forth and I went through a real rebel stage my sophomore year and said, I don't need either of you. Ah, so, gotcha. Yep. Okay. You were the rebel. I was. All right. Question number four. What's your favorite food? 
oh man, it's pizza, but pizza doesn't always like me. Ah, yeah. So you know you're going to pay for it. You're, you're uh, going yes. punishment if you do it. Yes. And then I always end with this one here. How are you, Shannon, reaching for more joy in your life right now? You know, I'm doing a better job of just appreciating the here and now, even if the here and now is not exactly what I'm wanting. Um, and I feel like when I can do that, like, you know, I think I might have mentioned to you before we recorded, I'm living in between right now. Our house is being built. So I'm living in an RV and we had sold our California house. And so we're in between and it's, it's not fun in between an RV with kids. But, you know, the truth of it is, it's, it can be, you know, it really yeah. can be. And, and so really just finding the here and now and what's cool about the here and now and not mm. worrying about why well, I wish I had this or wish we should have rented a house or whatever. It's that's more like this, this here and now is pretty cool. So yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. I need to work on that too. Um, oh my gosh, Shannon, you've been like, we, we could, we could talk forever and ever and ever about so many topics, but I, you have the same Kim Strobel energy. You talk fast, you move fast. I do. Like, <laughs> I can see it. I'm like, we have like, I don't know if this is like a 40 minute recording, but most people would take like 60 minutes, but we just went through it. (laughs) Girl, I'm also the one that listens to, I don't know if you do. I listen to podcasts and watch videos at like one and a half speed. Oh, me too. And audio (laughs) books. Yes, I do too. Even the fun ones. Cause I have my self-development ones and then I have my fun books and I'm like, I do. Yes. I talk way too fast. Give me the information. I love it though. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, what a pleasure. And it's so nice to have you. Thank you again. Thank you so much. We did it. Thank you so much for listening in on the She Finds Joy podcast today. I'm honored to share this space with you and I hope you keep showing up as the real you in this world. As always, this conversation will be continued in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to kimstrobel.com forward slash she finds joy to connect with other joy seekers just like you.